This, uh, this Sunday, obviously, you know, we're here talking about that resurrection. Uh, things would be very, very different if we had no resurrection. Uh, if he did not raise from the grave, there would be uh, no hope in this whole world. There'd be no hope in this life. Um, and it is so great to know that our Savior's tomb is empty. And he is risen. He lives. He lives in us if we've trusted him as our Savior and we live in him. And as we read this morning, you know, talking about I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we can have that relationship. I'm just so thankful for it. I'm just so thankful for, for the things that the Lord has given to us and the things that, uh, that he continues to bestow upon us. And this morning, uh, we, we, we've got some things going on. Obviously, right after uh, this service, we've got a baptismal service. Um, so uh, that's going to be directly after this. But uh, it's, it's just imperative to remember this on a day-to-day thing. Day-to-day manner, day-to-day lifestyle, day-to-day decision-making process of how, how great our Savior is. And the power of that resurrection. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. And I thank you again, Lord, that we have an opportunity to come and hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just guide us and direct us this morning, our thoughts and our hearts and our, and our head, Lord. That, Lord, we would be fixed upon what you have for us. We would desire that knowledge. We would desire, Lord, to receive that instruction from you. Above all, Lord, we'd receive that comfort. I thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done for us. I thank you for all that you've communicated to us in Scripture. And, Lord, the life that we have because you have risen from the dead. And, Lord, may we keep that thought in our minds this morning, throughout this week, and throughout all of our lives, Lord, that we would constantly dwell in that thought. And I thank you again for this time, Lord. May it please you and honor you. And I ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I want us to turn to a couple of passages of Scripture. I want us to turn, first and foremost, to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, we're we're actually studying this on Wednesday. And it's uh, uh, good for us to... To, to kind of look at this, and we just somewhat touched on this on Wednesday night. But in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul makes a declaration of things that are important. He talks about the things that are not important, all his pedigree and everything that he had earned in this life and who he was that was outside of Christ. He considered it dung. But here he, he talks about the things that he should desire and the things that he wants in his life, And in verse 10, it says that I may know him, talking about Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And the one thing that I notice here in this passage is that Paul talks about, he wants to know about the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. And how often have we thought about that? I mean, when we go through and we begin to realize who Jesus Christ is according to the Word, 
we find that he's very clearly declared himself the resurrection. Turn over to the book of John, John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have another resurrection taking place, this one with Lazarus. But here he makes a statement in John chapter 11, and in verse 25, as he's speaking to to Martha, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And here he is, he's talking about the, the greater resurrection. What was about to happen with Martha and Mary's uh, uh, brother Lazarus, he was going to be raised from the dead. He'd been dead four days. And, and, and obviously, this was a great miracle that happened and occurred. But here he is using this opportunity to talk about how he is that real, true resurrection. Now, obviously, this happened. This resurrection did occur. But what we find is, is that there's a greater resurrection that exists. And that resurrection that is needed is the one that we can find in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. The resurrection that we talk about even in baptism. But here we are talking about this resurrection and talking about who He is. He says, He is the resurrection. He is that life. There is no resurrection outside of Him that is necessary for this life. There's a power behind it that is often untapped in this Christian life. When we realize what's going on here. If you go over to Revelation, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, here Jesus Christ again is talking, and this is, again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, coming here into this world, coming and demonstrating that second uh, coming that he has. And he says here in this, uh, in verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. This is Revelation chapter one. He says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Because of the power of the resurrection, he now has those keys. He has the right to take those. He has the right to claim them and say that he, I mean, obviously, hell did not bind him. Hell could not contain him. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. Sin had no power over him. There's a power with that resurrection. There's a power with that resurrection. You know, we we, we go through Scripture and we find that there are a total of nine individual resurrections in Scripture. We find that the first one that we mention is over there in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 when Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead. There's the first one. His predecessor, Elisha, comes along and raises the Shunammite's son, the Shunammite woman's son, raises him from the dead over in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now we've got two. And in an amazing, amazing description of the power of God that rested on Elisha's life, 
there was this man that was dead and they were looking for a place to bury him. And as they were looking, there was enemies that were coming and these Jews took this body of this man. They didn't know what to do. And they threw him into the tomb of Elisha. And when his boat, when, when that body hit the bones of Elisha, there was still the power of God in those bones that that man raised from the dead. That's the third resurrection. We then go over and we find the widow's son at a funeral uh, with Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 7. And there they are on the way to the funeral, on the way to bury the body. And Jesus Christ raises that man from the dead. Talk about canceling the funeral and the plans and everything that was there. There was a different day. That was a totally different thing to think about. And then you find again over in the next chapter, in chapter 8, there is this man that, 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 that truly had a desire for the people of Israel and desire, his name is Jairus, and, and his daughter had died, and Jesus Christ comes and raises her from the dead. The book of, the book of Acts, we have two accounts, uh, or excuse me, over there in the book of John chapter 11, we, we find Lazarus again being raised from the dead. Now we've got this, those six, and then we go to the book of Acts, and we find two more. Peter goes and raises that woman by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas in Scripture, and she had died, and she was raised from the dead. And then we see, again, there's Paul and there's Eutychus. And after Paul, he talks about how he had been preaching a long time, and Eutychus was in the window. What he was doing sitting in the window, I have no idea. But he was sitting in the window and he falls asleep, falls out, and he dies when he falls out. And Paul comes down and what happens? Raises him from the dead. I bet you that was the last time he fell asleep in church. <laughs> there's eight, eight right there that we see. And then there's the ninth one that talks of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Being the first fruits being raised from the dead. Now we know that there was eight others that were there that the Lord talks about. But with him, there was a different type of resurrection. Each one of those had, had the man of God come and if you will, do something at that point in time to raise those people from the dead. But what we find very clearly is that Jesus Christ rose himself in his own power. We can't do that. We can't do that. But there's something I want us to point out with all of this in this first fruits that we see with Jesus Christ rising from the dead in the first fruits with each one of these things. Is there not an element of comfort that comes with each one of these accounts? I want you to think about this for a second. Those families that had lost a loved one and now that loved one was alive again. Was there not a great comfort to them? Was there not a great comfort knowing that they had been risen from the dead? Was there not a great comfort to just sit down and again to fellowship? And we find that over there shortly after over there in John chapter 11, we find Lazarus sitting there who had been raised from the dead, eating and enjoying the things of life again. He had been sick and now he and had died and, and there he is now, alive and well and eating. Could you imagine that? 
sitting down to a banquet with him. I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> can you can you walk me through that again? But you know how much comfort there was for Martha and Mary to know that their brother had been raised? How much these widows, their sons, had been raised from the dead? To, to see these funerals interrupted by the power of God in His resurrection? But yet here we are and we find over this, and I want you to turn in the book, in your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16. This will be our principal text this morning, and I want us to see something about this. I want us to see this great power that we see with this resurrection, and specifically this comfort that we have knowing that our Savior lives. Yeah, again, there, there are so many, so many Religions in this world, but none of them, none of them have an account of their leader being raised from the dead. There's no account of Buddha being raised from the dead. The, 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 the Muslims came along and they, they tried to make it so it looked like that maybe Muhammad was raised from the dead, but he very clearly has a death date. We find that every other religion that's out there, every other founder has all passed away. All of them have died. None of them have raised from the dead. Their tombs are still filled. Their tombs still have decay. But not our saviors. Not our saviors. In Mark chapter 16, we see here in, in verse 1, it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Here they are, they're coming for the purpose of, you know, putting something in there so that the body does not stink. And it says, And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll away? Uh, the stone from the door of the sepulcher. They were concerned about that physical stone. Who's going to roll it away? Here's these these, these ladies, and, and they're saying that's a big stone. Who's going to who's going to move this? They had no confidence that the soldiers there were there to help in any way, shape, or form. The ones that were guards that had now disappeared. <laughs> And as they, it says in verse 4, and when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And in entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And there this messenger is, giving them Words of comfort, giving them words of hope and words of joy. Now, obviously, their their reaction was that they were very troubled and amazed, and they were they were afraid, as we see over in verse eight. But but we see very clearly that there is a word of comfort that is now given. He's not here. The one that you seek, that you seek in the dead, is no longer there. He is risen. He is not here. And there's comfort that is given. You know, the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be great comfort for us. 
You know, we should think about that every single day. Not just on Resurrection Sunday. Not just this time of year. Not just in the spring. But every single day, there should be a comfort when we begin to realize that our Savior lives. He's not a dead sacrifice. He's not a bull or a goat or a lamb or a turtle dove that was offered upon an altar. He lives. He lives. There's a great deal of comfort that we see with this passage. There's a great deal of comfort that we see. I mean, think about this for a second. Last week, you know, obviously I wasn't here and, 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 and I wanted to finish up talking about the sayings of the Savior on the cross. And there's two other sayings that we see Jesus Christ saying. He says it is finished over there in John. He says it is finished. He's talking about those words of victory where he has completed the atonement necessary for our sins. The shedding of the blood that had been given so that we would have forgiveness of sins. He finished it. And with that finishing, he dies. With that finishing, he dies. Keep your place over there in, in, in Mark and turn to John. In John chapter 19, John chapter 19, in John chapter 19, and we see that as they had offered up this vinegar to him to give him to drink, a fulfillment of, of prophecy, there was still fulfillment of prophecy that had to occur. He was not dead yet. They hadn't pierced his side. Excuse me, as, as scripture had clearly identified. But what happens here is that he, we see in verse 30 of John chapter 19, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And there he dies. But there's another saying that he says over there in Luke, in Luke chapter 22, excuse me, Luke chapter 23, turn there. The next, in the next book over in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23. And we see another one that, that is recorded that Luke writes down in verse 46. Luke 23, 46. It says, and when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And I mentioned those two things to just point out that through all those seven sayings that he said upon the cross, the words of suffering, the words of anguish, the words of need, here we find words of victory, and if you will, words of submission, words of yielding. He's giving up his spirit willingly to the Father. We as Christians, we don't have the ability to do that. Most of us want to preserve our life. Jesus Christ, knowing what he had to do, knowing that the work of atonement had been finished, he, he gives and he says, now it's up to you. He gives it to the Father and gives up himself. And why? To fulfill what he said over there in Psalm chapter 16. In Psalm chapter 16 and in verse 10, he talks about how the Lord would not suffer his Holy One to stay in hell. 
You realize that Jesus Christ died on that cross. He shed his blood for you. He died and he went to hell for your sin. For my sin. For the sins of the world. To pay that price. To pay that price. Turn over to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we find over there that that, uh, a, a man at Pentecost is giving a message. In Acts chapter 2, and we find who is speaking here, and it's in verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Here's Peter. He begins to give a message. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it is Peter that begins to give this message. And he quotes that over there in Psalm chapter 16 in verse 27. It says right there, he says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He quotes that passage over there in the book of Psalms, that messianic prophecy, that prophecy of salvation, that prophecy that he had given, that he said that God would not allow him to remain there, that he would take his Holy One, Jesus Christ, from there, in the power of the resurrection, he would be raised. And we know that he went and he went to to Abraham's bosom and he preached the hope that was there and took them from being captive and led them free so that they would have a home in heaven because that atonement hadn't been made yet. But once he came and he was there, he made that atonement upon that cross, they could go to heaven. But what we find is very clearly this passage that Peter is declaring, he's saying there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. And I want us to go back over there to the book of Mark. I want us to go back over there to the book of Mark. And in Mark chapter 16, again, I want us to see this. In Mark chapter 16, where the the young man that is sitting there in that white garment in verse 6 says, Be not affrighted, you see Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they had laid him. And just like every other resurrection story, here comes the comfort. And in verse, in, in verse seven, it says, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. He's talking about the words of promise that Jesus Christ made. He's talking about the words that he says, I will, I will depart but I'm coming back. He makes a promise to his disciples that he will see them again before he ascends into heaven. And we find very clearly here this, this, this messenger, this angel saying these things, giving these words of comfort and these words of hope and joy that are there. They were sorrowful. They were approaching it with sorrow. The disciples were hidden away in sorrow and in fear. But we find one of the greatest things that's there. Now remember, Paul talks about, he wants to know the power 
of God's resurrect, of, of Christ's resurrection. That that is his desire. Not the things of the world is, are his desire, but to know more about the power of the resurrection. And this morning I want to show you just a brief portion of it. The title of the message is simple. Two words. And Peter. And Peter. I want you to take a look there in verse 7. I want you to see this. You want to see the power of the resurrection? You want to see the power of the comfort that is there? In verse 7 it says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Why was Peter singled out? I mean, there was, there was obviously 11 of them. Judas had hung himself at this point in time and had, uh, had the, the, the tree had broken. He had burst asunder, as it said. Judas is gone. There was only the 11. But he doesn't name all, all 11 of them. He doesn't identify John, who was the beloved disciple. He doesn't identify Philip or Andrew or, or any of them. He doesn't identify James. When, when, when the Lord went anywhere, he took with him three, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. And we find those three always going around, hanging around together, Peter, James, and John. But he doesn't mention James either. He mentions Peter. The young man that is there, this angel, makes a statement and he says, I want you to go tell the disciples, those ten, and Peter. Specifically pointing out, I want you to tell Peter he is risen. Now think about this for a moment. Why Peter? Why Peter? When we were up at uh, the youth retreat, I had talked about making decisions and choices in this life. And how we are all faced with that choice that uh, it's called the why principle. At some point in time, you're going to have to make a decision about which direction you're going to go. And if you're on a path, there's going to be a fork. There's going to be a split. And you're going to have to make a choice. And those decisions and choices are made every single day. And what we find with Peter is that Jesus Christ was warning Peter about many things. Turn over to the book of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 here, and we find some things that that, that, that are being warned here. In, in, in Luke chapter 22, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 22, we find that the, the Lord says in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, Behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and what thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And here he is, he's talking to Peter, and he's warning Peter about his life. He's warning Peter about a choice that he's going to make. Because in the same passage, in this passage in Luke, he warns them, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. He had just warned him, he says, devil desires to destroy you. And I, I want to make it clear, the devil is not your friend. The devil is not a comforter. The devil is not a good shepherd. The devil is a destroyer. 
And that is what he is called, and he seeks to destroy everything that he touches. He seeks to destroy uh, mankind. He seeks to destroy every Christian's life. He just seeks to destroy the Word of God. He seeks to destroy every church that preaches the gospel. He seeks to ever destroy everybody that he possibly can. And here he is targeting Peter, saying I'm, he's seeking him out to destroy him, which leads us to very clearly realize why he said over there in First Peter 5, where he said he walketh about as a roaring lion's seeking whom he may devour. Peter was very well aware of the susceptibility of that. He was very well aware of what could happen in his life. Why? Because he had done it. Because he had done it. And, and, And as we go through this process of looking at what he's saying here about this denial that is going to take place, In verse 54 of Luke chapter uh, 22, it says, Then they took him and led him, they're talking about Jesus Christ, and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Here's this trial that is taking place. And it says, And when they kindled fire in the midst of the hall, they were set down together. Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. Saying, hey, you're a disciple of Jesus. And what happens? The first part of the sifting. And he denied him, saying, woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about that space of one hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Just as Jesus Christ had warned him. Just as Jesus Christ had said. And what happens? And in verse 61, and probably one of the most terrifying verses ever, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine denying the Lord three times? And then he turns and he stares at you. I I can't even begin to describe that look. A look of hurt. A look of grief. A look of sorrow. A look of disappointment. Have you ever done something and somebody just looks at you and you just, you, they, they don't even need to say anything. I've had my father do that to me one time. I just remember sitting there and my father just looking at me and, and just, just the, 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 the look alone, he didn't need to say a word. But he had communicated something so, so important in my life. And when when Peter is there, could you imagine his eyes meeting the Savior's in such a way? You want to talk about your life at that moment in time being boiled down to one instant? 
where God had warned you and warned you and warned you. And then at the moment when you messed up, instantaneously, everything came to a standstill. And Christ is staring at you. I want you to remember that. Because every single time we do that in this life, every single time we do things to grieve the Holy Spirit, that's the same look. And there's Peter. You want to talk about devastation? You want to talk about sitting there and, if you will, just wanting to die? Judas went out and when he realized that he had betrayed innocent blood, he went out and he committed suicide. He hung himself. Peter didn't do that. In verse 61, it says, And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Behold the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And in verse 62, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was destroyed. Now, I understand all the disciples forsook him. We'd seen that John was the only one that was there at the crucifixion. Peter was following afar off, as it says, but at some point in time, he just left. And there he is in the most tremendous pain and sorrow that he's ever experienced in his life. Realizing that disappointment, realizing that mistake, realizing the sin that he has committed. And there he is. And, 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 and if you will, he is there three days. Three days. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was in the grave three days. All of Saturday, all of Friday, all of Thursday. At the moment in time when this happened, there he is at this span. Now it was well over the three days that he is sitting there thinking about this. Could you imagine what he was saying to himself? Could you imagine the thought processes that went on? Can you imagine the heartache that was there? Can you imagine just the grief and the terror that is lying in front of him? Because again, they still were not believing that Jesus Christ was going to rise from the dead. They were, they were afraid. They're hiding. They didn't believe when the women came and told him he was raised. In the same passage in the book of Mark, it says that he had to upbraid them for their unbelief because they did not listen to the words of those that had said he had been risen. And here, here, here he is, at this point in time, he is completely devastated that the last moment that he sees his Savior is the moment that he is seen with disappointment. I can't even begin to think about how that would be. And not only did he have to experience that, but he now had to live with it for three days.
You know, I, my mind wanders sometimes and it wanders into that discussion of, of you know, there, there they are at some point in time. And John had brought Peter along at this point. John was able to get him in. John had connections, which is why he was capable of getting that close. And there he is, and he had brought Peter along. And there's Peter right there seeing all of these things. And at some point in time, I can just kind of imagine in my mind, there's John saying, where did you go, Peter? Peter, you were right there. You you, you were fine. You could see everything that was going on. Where did you go, Peter? I, I, I... I can't even begin to think that, that Peter even wanted to talk about it. In my mind's eye, and I speak as a fool here, if you will, I could just imagine him saying, I don't want to talk about it, John. No, seriously, where did you go? John, I don't want to talk about it. Peter, what happened? John, I don't want to talk about it. Three days. But Jesus Christ told this messenger angel in the book of Mark, I want you to make sure you single Peter out. Why is that? Because you know what Peter needed? He needed comfort. Judas had betrayed. Peter had denied. All had forsaken. They all needed comfort. But God had enough care and compassion for Peter to know that he would need some. He would need that comfort more than the other disciples would. More than John would. More than the rest that fled. He had specifically denied the Lord three times. Saying he did not know him. Go back over there to Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. And it says, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. You know, there is Peter right there at this point in time. Needing a comfort. And just for a moment, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what exactly is going on in Peter's mind. When they come and they tell him he's risen. If you will, go back over there to, to, to the book of John. <clears throat> and if, if you turn over there to, to John chapter 20. <clears throat> Here we have this empty tomb. And we see in verse 1 of John chapter 20, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. 
Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. And saith unto them, They have taken all the way of the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. And Peter went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Well, that's nice to know, John. <laughs> and, and, and came first to the sepulcher. But here, it, it, look, John, John's very transparent. And he stooping down, looked, looking in, saw the linen clothes yet, or lying, yet he, yet when he not in, then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Peter just ran past John. John got there first, Peter pushes right past and goes right into the tomb. Gotta love the boldness of Peter. <laughs> Gotta love the boldness of Peter. Could you imagine that? Now the things start making a little bit of sense. Now it starts coming to this idea and this concept that the Lord lives. And there is Peter who now gets to receive some extra comfort knowing that the last interaction that he had with Jesus Christ was not denial. But the last interaction that we see is that we see in John chapter 21, the commission that's given to Peter. In, in, in the book of Acts, in Acts 1, we get to see him searing things from the Word of God. He got to spend time with Jesus Christ over that course of, of 40 days that he was still there till he ascended. And we, we understand that at that point in time, there was a great deal of that went on. And we never see Peter ever asking for forgiveness, by the way. We just see the Lord just giving it. He asks Peter, you lovest thou me? He makes Peter answer it three times. And he affirms it three times. Just like he had denied three times. And there's a great comfort. So much so that we can see in Acts chapter 2, the bold statement that he says about him being risen from the dead. That he would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. He would not suffer his soul to stay in hell. That he knew that there would be a resurrection. And here's Jesus, here's Peter preaching Jesus Christ raised. And it is such a great thing. And then you find Paul over there talking about, I want to know about the power of that resurrection. You realize the power of that resurrection that was there is the forgiveness of sins. I want you to think about this for a moment. The power of the resurrection that we have through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we know that there's forgiveness, but there is an eternal life that is connected with that forgiveness that we have in Him and in Him alone. And there's such great power there. Think about the power of that comfort that Peter got to experience that day. The Lord had specifically identified him. He was, the, the, the women were specifically told, go tell Peter. And we find Mary going and she tells Peter. 
And she tells John. But she goes and tells Peter first. You know, Peter needed that. You know, whenever I think about the power of resurrection, I, I think about how much we need things in this life and how great the power of God is to provide it. I'm not talking about food and clothes. I'm talking about the things that we need in this spiritual life, in this spiritual walk. And he was very much told that that the purpose behind that, once he had denied it, and once there was a conversion, once there was true repentance that was there, once that existed, you know what happened? He would go and he would strengthen his brethren. You know, that's the power of the resurrection. I want you to think about this. You know how we can strengthen one another here today? Through the power of the resurrection. What binds us together, what unifies us, is that Jesus Christ is no longer dead, but He is alive, and we are alive in Him, in the body of Christ, together as believers, unified by the shed blood and the power of His resurrection. And we can strengthen one another. And there's Peter at the darkest hour. And the Lord said, go tell Peter. You realize that every single moment in our life that the Lord looks upon us and He cares for us and He thinks on us in an innumerable amount of moments and instances in each moment. And there we are, knowing exactly where we are and what we need. And the Lord knows even more about our need and how He comes along and He gives us that compassion and He gives us that comfort when we need it. I can't even, I mean, again, I can't even begin to fathom how Peter could go through three days of living like that. I I really don't think he slept much. Because every time he closed his eyes, you know what he probably saw? The face of Jesus Christ looking right back at him. But God gave such a great comfort. You know, therein is our comfort in this life. You realize our Savior lives. Our Savior knows how to comfort. Our Savior knows how to care. Paul just wanted to know that. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that. God wanted you to know that. Which is why he wrote it down and preserved it for us. I was thinking about the resurrection thinking about, you know, you, you start muddling through and thinking about what the Lord wants us, you know, to hear. And, and I, I, the only thing I could think about was, you know, how comforting it is to hear of a resurrection and how much comfort there is to hear of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
that regardless of what we've done, there is power in the forgiveness of sins because He has the keys to death and hell. And we no longer have to face that. We have life through Him. He is that resurrection. He is that life. There is no other way. I don't know where you are in your life. But this morning, the Lord wanted you to hear this. The Lord wanted you to hear that He pointed Peter out so that you too could also have that comfort. You too could also experience the power of that resurrection. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Such a great hope, such a great comfort of that resurrection that we have through him. May we never forget that. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time that you've given to us. And I thank you again, Lord, that we have this opportunity to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that we would think on these things and we'd think about the comfort that you gave to Peter, the comfort that you give to us, the truth that is there, Lord, in the power of your resurrection. Lord, may we never forget it. Lord, again, I just thank you for doing all of these things for us. And Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I thank you for shedding your blood for my sin. I thank you for rising again to conquer sin, death, and hell for me, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for somebody telling me how that I can have a resurrected life through you. How I can have comfort of hope and joy that passes all understanding. And Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've given to us. May we meditate upon these things and think on them. And I ask and I pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.